0: Welcome, everyone, to the Sight Unseen podcast, where we talk about those good vibrations that hit your eardrums just right. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Kistler. You've arrived at episode two, where Jeff Kalesis and I will be chatting about ten releases from Jade Tree Records, a seminal Delaware-based punk label founded in 1990 by Darren Walters and Tim Owen. Our list was compiled with the help of some good friends, many of whom hail from the old alt-press mosh pit and beyond. So thank you to everyone who put in their favorites from the label. Jordan couldn't join us this round due to other commitments, but we'll be back at our full cast for the next episode. In the meantime, enjoy.
1: Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm Jeff. Hey, I'm Matt. And we are here representing the Sight Unseen podcast for our episode number two regarding J Tree Records. And man, isn't this a doozy? <laughs> so. It really is.
0: Um, I when we when we first were talking about what we wanted to do for the next episode, and J Tree was suggested, I was um, immediately met with. I know a lot of a lot of records came out on that label, and I really hope there's one central place where I can find all of them. And boy does Jade tree have a really great releases section (laughs) that made preparing for this episode so much easier than the last one
1: and how, (laughs) Oh
0: boy. Um, and it, it did. It just, it reminded me of how wildly, uh, one, like incredible the back catalog is. And two, how just expansive it is. and, (laughs) Three, just how many of my favorite records came out on this <laughs> dang label? Uh, it it legitimately feels like a crime to uh, to only talk about ten records at length, but uh, also we you know we don't want to go forever, uh, so it's probably for the best for us and for
1: our listeners. We're we'll doing this th- for you. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. Like so. <laughs> I mean, worst comes to worst, we can always do an installment number two if we're really feeling like we still have a hankering for it. I mean, I could probably gush about this label all day. I mean, just truth be told. But then again, I, I pontificate about any goddamn thing. So
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> we, We're we going to start a side podcast about j Tree <laughs> Records. You heard it here first.
1: It, it, it's um, funny that you mentioned that. There's actually one that I found. Uh, it's like some of the guys. I think it's a Tim McMahon, McMahon from... Um, Mouthpiece. I think they have a podcast dedicated to all the Revelation records releases, and I've been like devouring that lately. That is extremely. It, it, cool. it is. It is pretty rad. They like Jordan Cooper on there all the time, and they're talking about like all the pressings of releases and stuff. And so I, I guess they like totally geek out like old man hardcore style. <laughs> nice.
0: That's incredible. Um, I was unaware of that, and we'll probably have to listen to it because <laughs> Revelation has a has a hell of a back catalog too. Yeah, amen to that. <laughs>
1: So, man, shoot, I, I, I don't know if we, wanted to, if we wanted to dig into any kind of a aspect of our history and how we got associated with this label, or if we would just wanted to dig straight in. Either, either way works for me on
0: this. Uh, yeah, no, um, I'm totally cool with uh, giving a little background. I don't the, the thing is, I don't have a ton of background with the label itself. Um, really, I just uh, kind of came across like, you know diving into the, the catalog of the label through just sheer realization of, oh, wow, all these li- or all these records that I love came out on this one label. <laughs> it's wild. Um, like, I, I did not know um, that, uh, okay, spoiler for later in the episode, I didn't know that Changes of Sound came out on this label until, you know, well after I had, you know, bought my CD copy way back in the day <laughs> uh, after hearing um, uh, you're fired on a comp. I forget what comp it was on, but um, it might have been a jade tree comp and I might have just not realized it at the time. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really just kind of came, came into the label as a whole just by noticing a pattern of, oh, wow, all these really historic punk records and emo records and hardcore records and records that I already loved, independent of any of that genre stuff, uh, they all just kind of, like, come down, they funnel down into here, or, like, the influences of bands I love, you know, come up from either directly from Jade Tree bands or are directly influenced by them. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, like like I mentioned, you know, it's just the, the, the sheer number of just seminal releases that came out on this record is is almost unmatched, I might argue, except for like maybe by like a, a label like Discord uh,
1: <laughs> or Epitaph, like duh. But
0: yeah, I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of my thing. What about you?
1: For me? Uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned you're fired because I think that was probably my per- first positive reception with the label. Um, I I I want to say that I heard. Jets to Brazil back in, like, 98, but that's when I was, like, really, like, diehard into, like, a lot of, like, crust punk and stuff, weird stuff like that. Like, if it didn't sound like Discharge or, like, some UK punk band, I was like, oh, this this shit sucks. And I was, like, really down on it. (laughs) Or if it didn't sound like, I don't know, like, No Use for a Name or something like that. Like, if it wasn't Epithat Skate Punk or something, like, I wasn't having it. So, like, of course, you hear Blake in that time and you're just like, what is this? This, like, mellow shit. Like, I can't... And then, like, of course, I was a dumbass because it's amazing, but so... (laughs) Negative reception at first for it, because I was a dumb, a dumb kid. And then I was driving home from something back in North Carolina, and there was a college radio station called WQFS, I think it was for Guilford College, where mm-hmm. Coincidentally Refused played their last U.S. show before breaking up way back Whoa. in, like, 1990. And so I, like, lived right by there, and I was actually supposed to go see them, because they were playing in Winston-Salem for that show, allegedly. They didn't show up. They showed up at <laughs> Guilford College and played the show there, and I was I was so goddamn pissed. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I was on like a local show, like watching some like shitty groove band called Groovy Pop or something, and I'm like, Ugh, and then Refuse is literally playing right down the road, like their last show in the U.S. before like Coachella. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> man, so they had a college radio rock station there though. That was that was fucking amazing, and they played all sorts of great stuff on there. Actually, I think that might have been the first way I heard uh, Refused as well. And uh, but I I was. Driving home from some kind of function and I remember hearing you're fired on the radio and I'm like, What the hell is this? This is just just it was just it was like energy oozing out of the speakers and everything. And I heard Thomas Barnett like singing just the song and like the whole part, like, you know, like the, the, the tension buildup and like our labor is our labor lost, like Release us now. And <laughs> just like and so we're like having like almost crashing the car out that one. I'm like, What the fuck is that? I gotta get this. Like, who the hell is this? And so like I think I called into the station too, I'm like, what band was that? Like, oh my like, god! I need to know who man, this is. I'm calling like, into the station. I, I know but this dates me right here or something. This is how. No, no, I, I, like, <laughs>
0: I did college radio. I, I get it. It's, 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 it's as exciting from the other end as it is for the person on the phone.
1: <laughs> no kidding (laughs) i always thought i always thought they were like always pissed off whenever i'd call in and ask about this like don't you like listen to me intro it or something i'm like (laughs) (laughs) like what are you doing but uh so anyway that that was that was my first recession for it and basically i think i ended up going out that weekend and buying it like immediately just looking scouring of course on cd because i think this is before i got vinyl and everything but um sure yeah like and after that just kind of falling head over heels for the label and really digging into it and um yeah. <laughs> it's been going on ever since. So that that's that's my intro for that.
0: Hell yeah. Awesome. Uh so like like we mentioned, uh we're gonna be talking about ten records here. Uh we promise they're all very, very good. Why would we talk about them if they weren't? Um This may this may be uh mentioned in the in the preamble in the intro, uh but um we should point out that we we kind of we kind of crowdsourced this list a little bit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Shout-outs to everybody from the old alt press boards, um, who helped us out with this, and also a myriad of other people. Um, but yeah, we kind of aggregated everybody's uh, votes and came down to ten records. Uh, we think you're going to like them all if you don't already. <laughs> uh, so it if we're we're going to talk about you know more than ten records here because again, this back catalog is vast and. Diverse and just incredibly good. Um, so to uh, kind of before we get to the actual list here, uh, Jeff, did you want to talk about anything that you personally had on your list that didn't
1: end up making the final cut or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Man, that, that that's a tough call right there. I'm not going to lie. It, like you're saying, with, <laughs> it, with, with such a varied and vast catalog, it's difficult to really dig in there. But like, if I had to mention a few... Um, I, I would definitely have to go with Damnation AD's No More Dreams of Happy Endings which is like an odd outlier metalcore record on J Tree. fantastic shit it's like an organic metalcore record Like, and uh, I, I, I won't pontificate anymore on that but it was really good if you're, you're into that kind of source hit. and uh, nice. I would go with also Dark Blue's uh, Pure Reality and also the EP that they released on there as well like both of them are fantastic releases just really really solid probably the the best, I would say the best post-punk release on Jade Tree, maybe the only one but <laughs> like, that I can think of, but I mean, so like it gets, it gets the distinction of being the best and the worst in that regard, but they, I would say the best because they're amazing. Um, and then I would also go with uh, From Ashes Rise, uh, Nightmares, which is like a crust punk kind of dischargey sounding kind of record, uh, one of the best, and I would say that's a benchmark for that kind of genre. So I mean, like if your chances are, if you're into that, you already know about it, if you don't. You're looking to get into it. That's definitely a great starting point for that, for melodicism and accessibility within an otherwise kind of uh, uh, inscrutable and unapproachable kind of genre at times. And um, man, shit, I can't. I'm trying to think of anything else to put in there. There's so many. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, totally fair. We 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 probably could
0: just say. Everything that isn't on this list is incredible, and everybody should listen to it when yeah, they have I
1: fully agree. several
0: I mean, hundred hours to <laughs> waste.
1: <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. I, I think for two more real quick, I would probably give an honorary shout-out to um, One Line Drawing. I think it was jo- uh, Jonah Montrana's project that he had on there. A really nice. solid kind of indie rock, borderline kind of indie emo. Um, it just usually just I don't know there's the way the guy is able to lay it bare is always great and then I would also say the Dogs on Acid Cell titled LP I think oh, I, yeah. say that's dudes from Algernon Codwaller I think so yeah and uh, really good stuff just another fantastic release that kind of came in on the, the tail end of the re- record label and it, it's real shame because I, I feel that if they would have got promotion they could have been a hell of a lot bigger and they could have really reached out to a lot more people. Like J tree still had distribution at that point, but unfortunately they were kind of cut off from their traditional avenues at that point. I don't really think that it got out to many people. So it's, it's kind of a bummer, but, uh, yeah. I think that's, a, that's about it for me. Uh, how about you, Matt? Uh, so, uh, one,
0: one I definitely want to shout out is, um, the, uh, self-titled record from Denali. Um, I I don't really know a lot about the band uh, themselves. Uh, I just remember randomly, I, I, I think this was like after I'd realized, oh, right, I do just like things that come out on Jade Tree. <laughs> um, ba- this was back in the day when I was buying um, just swathes of used CDs from, uh, from FYE because they <laughs> would do the like buy three, get four free all the time because they made hella money off of used CDs. (laughs) Uh, I'd be, I doubt they still do, but maybe, I don't know. I haven't been to a mall in a while. Um, (laughs) But, but yeah, uh, I I just kind of came across that um, either just via knowing it came out on the label or just randomly stumbling across it and uh, just absolutely loved it. Uh, They had another record come out on Jade Tree uh, after that one called uh, The Instinct, which is still good (laughs) but not quite as a I I don't want to say I don't want to say groundbreaking cuz like there's there's a lot of familiar like sonic territory being covered um on the self-titled record but it just it feels really novel in a lot of ways like it's kind of got kind of got the feel of like your your average like moody uh early aughts indie record, but, like, there's just enough different about it that, like, it holds your attention and, like, really, like, grasps on. And we kind of talked about this a little bit before uh, we started recording, but I really, I feel like I, in a very positive way, compare it to uh, Emily Haynes from Metric's solo stuff with the soft skeleton, um, but with more of a rock bent. Uh, So not quite, like, the, like, wild stuff that, like, Metric was doing, but, like, also not quite the just, like, piano and vocal stuff that, that Emily was doing on her <laughs> own. Um, but, yeah, so, Denali, uh, self-titled, great record. Came out in, like, 2002. Uh, feels pretty ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Um, other, other thing that I'd like to shout out, uh, and I'll be brief about this, because we talked about uh, one of these bands at length in the last episode, is the uh, Hot Water Music-Alkaline Trio split. Um, it's got some of each band's, uh, me, I, it's hard to say best songs, especially for hot water music, but, uh, it's definitely got some great songs from each of them. And then it's got, uh, hot water music doing two alkaline trio covers better than alkaline trio ever did them. I, 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 it's a little too far for me to reach with my headphones, but yes, I do also have the picture disc of this. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah. Hot Water Music does "Bleeder" and um, "Radio" better than the original Alkaline Trio versions. Both both the original versions are great, true. But true. D- d- man, they they just really did uh, did extra justice to those. And possibly unpopular opinion, I feel like the Alkaline Trio version of "Rooftops" is better than the Hot Water Music version.
1: I'm not gonna um, lie, like I I actually. I, I should- be inclined to agree with you there. And as a diehard hot water music fan of that era, like that's that, that it kind of kills me to say that, but they did such a great job with it. It's so, yeah, catchy. no, it's, it
0: it, it, it is, it's got a completely different mood. Um, uh, and it's just, it's super, it's a super fun cover of, you know, just a song, just a song that I wouldn't have seen going that direction. <laughs> um, also queen of pain is one of my favorite album. Yes, songs. songs, yes. uh, but also, um, what one one last shout out uh, for me is the entire paint it black catalog. Yes. <laughs> I feel very bad that there are no paint it black records on our final list, uh but that's how numbers work sometimes. Um I was listening to new that new Lexicon earlier today and just remembering how like like, like every every paint it black record hits like really hard, but like new Lexicon just like was a hell of a record. Um so was Paradise, and like in in a lot of the same ways. Um, but yeah, shout shout outs to the to the Kid Dynamite lifetime lineage that eventually led to Paint It Black existing. Um, cool. All right. Uh, well, without further ado, do we want to go ahead and get into the list?
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm totally all right.
0: Down. So spe- speaking of uh, records that are awesome. Uh, so, uh, first record on our list here is, uh, from a band we have not mentioned yet, uh, which is, None cool. of ones. Uh, yeah. Uh, so first record is, uh, Fucked Up's Hidden World. Um, I don't really have a lot of background on this record. I just, um, I, I came into, I came into Fucked Up in, I, I should have started listening to them in high school, but I didn't start listening to them until, until college. And I, I just kind of like, trotted through their back catalog at like various random points because by the time I started listening to them they had like 12 releases or something <laughs> like that I, I don't really know if it was that many but it was a lot um and I think I don't think I actually listened to Hidden World until uh the record uh, David Comes to Life comes out which oh, was it, like kidding. kind of an extension of a story started on a song on this record mm-hmm. um but yeah, uh we we were talking a, a little bit about this earlier but um I something that something that's always impressed me about fucked up is that like in a lot of ways they're a really like they're a hardcore band. Like you they have every single component of their songs is like present in hardcore in other places in some way. And like they're not like they're not doing a lot of technically wild stuff by any means. Um, like, they're all incredible musicians and you like know. there's there's probably some under the hood stuff that I couldn't even begin to touch. <laughs> uh, but just like sitting back and listening to it, it's like every individual component is like, okay, I I have I've definitely heard something like this before, but the way they put everything together is just like it, it's almost magical how like what they end up coming up with. a lot of other bands but at the same time don't sound like any other band <laughs> uh and, and like i feel that way uh you know kind of staying in like the metal hardcore scene like i feel that way about bands like thou too uh who are just like i i know i've heard like stuff like this before but n- i've never heard anything exactly like this and um uh, obviously, the 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 lyrical content of any given fucked up record is miles beyond what you're going to hear uh, literally any place else uh, in a lot of <laughs> ways. Uh, but I, I think th- I think that's a big part of it. But there's just there's just something else that that special sauce that I can't quite place that I think really just makes them a special band. And, and this is a special record on on that, you know, kind of on that tip.
1: Time. I fully agree with all that. They're 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 a hard one to pin down. And the fact that like you're you're right. They they have that that sound that's kind of similar to it. It's almost like I don't know if you mix like some kind of especially on this record in particular. It's like I'm mixing a psych band with like you know like traditional '80s hardcore like negative effects like Jack Kelly stuff or like you know like a negative approach. But there's that kind of intangible something else that they add to it that gives it that extra oomph. And, um, yeah. as, as a dude that was obsessed with this band, like back before this and the EPs that they're putting out, I remember like, <laughs> I remember there was such a big hype built up around this when it was getting ready to come out. And like, you had a lot of people that just like, it's, it was, you were on polar extremes at this band is either you worship this band or you thought they were the the biggest travesty of the band ever walked the face of the earth and you hated them like mightily. And (laughs) I remember like this record in particular coming out like shaped so many people the wrong way. But then like, I mean, I loved it. I mean, right from the get-go, I thought like this is a band that kind of lived to antagonize people in the same way that like, you know, kind of almost like a Elysian attack of like Nation of Ulysses where it's like, you know, like kind of blinding the Cyclops or something with the, with the tip of a Ithacan spear and like just approaching out of a dark cave and kind of getting you. Like it's a hardcore band that's writing like seven minute songs with like whistles and like flutes, arrangements. Right. And like all this other stuff that alienate the fan base of hardcore loyalists that like love them for their EP era. And so like when they came out with this, I was just, I was totally enamored with the concept of how they did that. And I think a lot of the lyrical content of that really digs into that kind of duality and kind of that, that almost, uh, what do they call it? Like, kind of like almost like the, the Venn diagram of life or something as far as like how, like everything's cyclical or something. I forget what they call that. It's, it's probably not the Venn diagram. I'm, I'm messing this up. But- um. I know it, what it, you're
0: it, talking about, but I do not know the term it, that you're talking for. the one that basically
1: details the cycle of life and like, you know, kind of birth, death, life, and everything in between. And I think a lot of that kind of deals with that. And also like it it aggrandizes it in a way of like making it almost like hardcore religion and how people kind of approach (laughs) it like purists like that. And they poke fun at it so much. And it's great because like, just you know that like when they were doing it, just like it was just an irreverent jab right in the, in the craw of purists and they probably hated it so much. And they just relished in that. Like I remember reading some interview with them or something. There was an old uh, website called Pace Punk back in the day. And it was run by a lawyer called Jordan Baker. And I think he had like a, he also had a, a, a print zine that came out. And I remember like reading the interview with these guys and just like everything they were doing. And it was just totally to antagonize the interviewer. I remember like he's asking him about random stuff. I think it was like in Germany. And they're like, what can we expect from your tour in Germany? And he's like, Germany can expect to be blamed for the Holocaust or something. And like, he's wow. going off on all sorts of crazy shit. And like they talked about how they, they drove through some German town and how like, they they saw a shop set up and then they found out that it was a postmodern art exhibit and it's like and then said that we failed the postmodern art test or something because we bought gum at the end of the line or something it's like, <laughs> just like totally going off on this random diatribes of shit and it is it was just so excellent like just like and I think this is also at the period of time when they were they were still kind of using their code name. So like you still had Damien going by Pink Eye and then, uh, Oh yeah.
0: yeah What's her face yeah. going
1: by like mustard gas and etc. And like Ben cook going by who knows what fucking name he had or something. That's <laughs> not, but, but, uh, they, they had <laughs> so many great ones in here and stuff. And again, like tuck it, touching on the lyrics and stuff. There's just a, a few that I wanted to go over with it. Like there was one in particular, I oh, fuck, what was it called? Um, it was, uh, Throw the stones and smash the citadel, search the ruins of the fort that fell, and from the Book of Enoch to the Bible codes, we still we spend the final days still looking for that gold. And when we find it, how will we know? Will it cleanse the rot from our souls? Will it help us will help save us from the fires below? Trying to hold on to what fell through our hands, like using a sieve to move the sands, over, under, inside and out, a fanatic zeal erases any burden of doubt, and <laughs> just like how it's just a straight just hook right into those yeah. purists and like i mean like i i felt it too as like i do that kind of deem myself a purist at the time but like still like i kind of lapped in self-disgust it was almost like reading a vonnegut novel like it hurts so good like it's <laughs> <laughs> and, and just just everything else in it as well in the, at the time and just um yeah i i, I cannot gush enough about th- this this band and what they what they brought forth with this record i i i remember even thinking at the time this will probably stand as an, a hardcore classic and i My opinion has not wavered on that one bit since the release, and so I'm going to stop before I I gush any more about this. I've probably been pontificating for a while here or something, so
0: (laughs) I said my uh, piece, though. (laughs) Totally, totally understand. Uh, Yeah, no, I I don't really have anything to add to that. Uh, Yeah, Fucked Up are an incredible band. Uh, I hope they have many more things in store for us uh, as the years continue here. Big time. Um, I've only I've only managed to see them live once, and it was at uh, Riot Fest a couple of years ago. Oh, no kidding! Um, it, incredible, just a- amazing. <laughs> I, I like I, I am like I have not listened to their back cat- Like I've I've listened to most of their records at least once, but like I'm not like I'm not like the kind of person who could stand in the front row and sing along to all the songs or anything. <laughs> I also don't think I could memorize fucked up lyrics to save my life. Look, it's, um, it's
1: like, it's like but, reading some kind of like classic Greek, like Hellenistic era Greek yeah, prose or something. S- it makes it difficult.
0: Stand up there with a book open. Like a literal <laughs> book. Um, I, wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if you could assemble like you know, some novellas from, from a few of their songs, you probably could. Most like something Something mildly sensible, at least in a postmodern <laughs> sense.
1: Fully backed. Yeah. So. All
0: right. Um, but yeah, uh, kind of dovetailing from our, uh, our opening talk here. Uh, our next series of records has a, has a nice little, uh, through line, um, in that next, we're going to talk about, uh, Kid Dynamite. And, uh, their legacy. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about their self-titled record. Jeff, do you, do you have some background on this record you would like to
1: share? Me, um, sure. You know, I, I definitely got really big into these guys probably around like the early two thousands, and uh, it, it was in an era where, like, I think they kind of they were kind of a linchpin in like that melodic hardcore revival movement along with bands like 88 fingers Louie and such and um i remember like listening to these guys and it, it, it was they they had such a earworm kind of appeal where it was like it was almost like if you took like gorilla biscuits and like Gorilla biscuits already kind of had like a more kind of melodic accessible kind of sound of hardcore but they still had a little bit little bit of bite in it that might wore off or like you know kind of pair off people that aren't super into hardcore. But it's like Kid Dynamite took that and it's like they married it with like, you know, like your 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 kind of gruff punk like jawbreakers or your fifteens or your crimp shrines. And they made like this just like this monster of a record that like had like, you know, you had like the group shot alongs, you had like the heavy choruses, like that little melodic hardcore breakdowns, but at the same time it was like catchy as shit. And like you're I I, I, that I feel that like a pop punker kid that was into any of those bands would probably be able to listen to this and be like, oh yeah, this is this is fucking sick. And Maybe they're going out there in two-step and two-stepping in the middle of the breakdown or something while well, like singing their heart out on their sleeve in between. And um, I they I, definitely, I think, i I'm surprised that they didn't get it quite as big as they could have been or I think should have been considering they, I think that tangentially speaking, there's a lot of kind of tie-in with a lot of that epithet like kind of skate punk sound mm-hmm. in here as well. I mean, this definitely leans a little bit more on the hardcore side though, but I I, I kind of wonder why why that is the case that they 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 weren't as popular as they were. Maybe it was a distribution issue or something. I I don't know. But um yeah, no, I mean like I I, going back into it, I mean, I was a bit apprehensive just because I, I I the lyrical content, again, it's not like something that you're gonna we're talking about fucked up and we, we go from fucked up to this and like it's just like basically you know like typical talk about the in the early or late ni- late to 90s to early odds basically talking about you know saving the scene and standing up for yourself and like you know sticking up sticking up for ladies and white knighting for him or something although I mean I don't know that song kind of didn't age well but uh, yeah I mean you could do it for her if you want to, man. But she can do it for herself. I'm just saying. But then again, I mean, he's also like a teenager when he wrote this. I mean, I, I, I kind of look at it with like you know like descendants goggles or something. I'm like these are like super cringy when you look at them now. But I'm sure in the past, like it was acceptable. <laughs> if
0: I, if I, if I think about the kind of lyrics I would have written when I was a teenager, had I been the type who was writing <laughs> lyrics, they would have been way worse. Uh, I, sure. I, I, I,
1: same same year, like, most definitely. And, and, so. and,
0: yeah, and, and I, I think it's. I think it's obviously important to look back at stuff like this with a critical eye like that. But but also, like, we do have to, you know... It's incredible what they accomplished as literal teenagers.
1: Oh, oh, for for sure, for sure. Um, You're talking about, like, a band that was a flash of the pan, too. Like, these guys were... I think you're talking about all of them were in college at the time that they're doing this. So they're full-time college students touring the U.S. in between breaks recording this. And, like, they only existed as a band recording material for, like less than three years yeah, yeah and so like it's it's pretty impressive it, it fully fully back there
0: yeah and 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 i think the and i i think sonically like their legacy like definitely holds and and that that is reflected a little bit through um through lifetime who we are going to be talking about soon <laughs> here um and but like you know li- listening to listening to kid dynamite uh I, I almost said "Kid Dynamites," Kid Dynamite. Uh, that's not a very helpful distinction. <laughs> Listening to the self-titled record, uh, I, I do hear a lot of um, a lot of just sonic cues that really endured uh, and came back up again. And like uh, y- you, you kind of mentioned like the the um, kind of incorporation of of like pop punk, like hookiness and shout-alongs, like that kind of stuff came back again with like the more recent wave of, of um, I don't want to say popular pop punk, but like pop pop punk that pop punk kids listen to (laughs) Um, and not even, not even really just pop punk. kids like people who are, you know, I'm talking about bands like, you know, early title fight and the wonder years and like, and obviously like there are, there are things that set those bands apart from, you know, a band that's just aping, you know, the Kid Dynamite Lifetime, um, like, era of of this particular brand of hardcore. Uh, but, like, it, you can definitely hear the influence, and, and the fact that, that a band that was, like you said, such a flash in the pan is still, like, showing up in in the, like, sonic signatures of these bands in the 2010s and probably well into the 2020s is an incredible, like, testament to, like, how how they did hit what they did hit.
1: A- absolutely. Fully backed. I mean, like, y- you're talking about not even, not even, like, like, hardcore bands, but even, like, bands like Camadre were, like, inspired by these guys and stuff and would yeah. would cover yeah. them at times and stuff. So, I mean, like, it, they definitely had a far-reaching effect and, like, yeah, like you're saying, there's no denying that they, th- you you listen to that, like, those those Dan Yehman riffs and everything in there, like, I mean, like, there are so many bands of cop that. I mean, heck, even, like, a couple years after this record came out in the early odds, like you couldn't like walk two feet without tripping over a melodic hardcore band that really wanted to be these guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean yeah. and why not if you're gonna be them? I mean why not why not copy off the best and kinda of emulate them or something? It's like I mean no problem in worshipping that. I mean I'm fully on board with that. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so naturally, uh, that segues into uh, our good good lifetime segment. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna talk about both um both lifetime records that came out on uh on J Tree here uh the very very important and very very seminal Hello Bastards and the um arguably more polished depending on who you ask's better but when you're comparing better. To, to hello, bastards. I don't really know if there's. A, <laughs> I don't really know if better's the right word. So much as sometimes preferable to some people and sometimes not. Um, I think but, you uh, talked about.
1: You hit it best earlier when you said it depends on what day you ask me. <laughs> like yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. Like there are there are days where i definitely wants to listen to Hello, Bastards and nothing else. <laughs> uh, same, same. <laughs> and and same with Jersey's best dancers. Um, but yeah, I I feel. I feel like, and and obviously, this is a lot of this does boil down to, to Dan being in both bands. But I I feel like a lot of what appeals to me about Lifetime is what appeals to me about Kid Dynamite, in just that like, there's, they're very obviously, a band. I I feel like Kid Dynamite was a hardcore band and Lifetime was a punk band. Uh, in in I I realize those are really really vague terms, but. But I, I mean that in that, like, you can you can hear the similarities between the two bands and, and that a lot of that does come from Dan and a lot of that does come from, you know, just the the particular brand of punk that both bands were going for. But I feel like feel like what Lifetime really did was like further strike that balance between like hooky pop punk uh, and the like just really fun parts of hardcore, <laughs> um, you know, be, thing, things that aren't, like, breakdowns and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> and, like, I, I, and, you know, having having Ari on vocals is just, like, the icing on the cake as far as, like, um, as far as getting that, uh, getting that particular sound down is concerned. Uh, because, like, He's a really flexible vocalist. And like, I guess flexible is not really the right word. I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm trying to track down here.
1: He he has a certain kind of quality to it. Like the, the nascent quality to his vocals that just lends to it. It, it's almost like it fills in all like any kind of rough edge that might even be permeating through like the guitars and bass and everything else. It's it's, and it, it shouldn't work. Like you listen to him and like, yeah. it, it's like, he sounds so fucking weird. Like I you <laughs> listen to the dude and he sounds like some kind of like drunken sailor that's ambling around his room, trying to find his car keys from a bender from last night or something. But like it works though. And it works so good. Like it has no business being that, but it does. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll
0: that's that. I think, I think, I think where like, you know, obviously we we just talked a bunch about how great Kid Dynamite was, but like I really think that like all the pieces really fell into place with Lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like I we you know obviously Lifetime had another full length beyond their their time on Jay Tree and beyond their original life as a band, uh, which came out. I don't remember when the the self titled record when came it was out. Two thousand seven. Something like it. it. was it was when I was in college and it came came out on Pete Wentz's uh what, Guild by I think, imprint. or something like that. Wait, yeah, yeah, it was like a uh, by Roman
1: imprint, with, I think, or something Yeah,
0: which I there uh, apparently there was a very good oral history of that uh label oh. that just uh dropped on um I forget what was that it noisy it was. or something? Or? Uh no, it was um hold on. Shoot, I, I might have to check
1: that out. I mean, if nothing else, I'd probably do it for the lifetime record because I'd love that self title. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know how much that would have come up. Uh, it's on the 45com if you want to check that oh. out. Uh, but uh, it's it's like it's Pete Lentz, obviously uh, is part of this part of this history. But they also talked to talked to um, Travie McCoy and Gabe support and uh spencer smith and they they just talk about like some wild stuff uh one of those things is uh apparently panic at the disco didn't make any money on their first uh tour because they were lugging around a like life-sized windmill to every single show and that cost them so much money that they just like broke even
1: for the whole tour it's like ben folds Um, lugging a Grand piano to his shows or something like
0: that. I've it's never like, understood how people pull that off. I don't like, know people that, people that aren't like Billy Joel and uh, and uh, Elton John. Um, <laughs> like I, 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 I know that like Jack's or not Jack's Mannequin, but uh, Andrew McMahon of Jack's Mannequin fame is still touring uh with his new band and he brings a grand piano to every show Jesus. Um, or he's renting one i hope he's renting one for his sake does he have uh, it, like airlifted it in by every
1: show or something i mean like if not man like my hats off to that ground crew like they they are <laughs> saints
0: for real
1: <laughs> um but anyway sorry i digress
0: even even that record which came out full a full decade plus or not maybe not plus a full decade after after lifetime more or less disbanded um and they did they just still had it which is so, beyond me how any band
1: pulls that off <laughs> um, agreed it, 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 it just this is a they're definitely a band that's kind of anomalous in that regard too like as far as like they they've had so many dramatic shifts and like i'm of the mind that like i mean like you have the two periods of them obviously you have like you know, when they were still on, uh, what was that record label? The, the one in California, New Age Records. The old hardcore label that, like, Strife started off on, and i broken. So, like, you have background on there. And, like, you listen to that record, and you're like, I remember, like, hearing that, like, years ago. And I'm like, this band is ass. Like, this sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounded so <laughs> fucking bad. Like, I you listen to it now, and I'm like, there's, there's like, oh, my God. It's, it's like... And then you go from that to, like, Hello Bastards, and you're like, what the hell happened to these guys? I mean, like, they went from being, like, this like middling kind of, like... Again, it was kind of like we were talking about earlier. It was that that period of, uh, like, post-hardcore, borderline, revolution summer emo-adjacent. Like, we're borrowing from it, but we're not quite there, and we're trying to be more melodic. But we don't quite know how to carry a melody. It was kind of like that kind of music. So, like, like Ashes and, like, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And... (laughs) And it, it was it was not good. And then you get Hello Bastards, and it's just like a complete one eighty. And it, it's amazing. And it, it sounds great. It's catchy as hell. It's it's fast and furious one second, and then the next minute you get like this, just like this heartfelt uh, melodic, just <laughs> like I, I I oh man, I I'm at a loss for words for we're going over it. And I know I shouldn't be because I mean I listen to this band all the time and everything, and I I fucking love them, but I, I just. I feel that way every time I I think about this, and how dumbfoundingly good those two records are, and how much they inspired, like, I mean, anything from Saves a Day and All Their Ilk onwards, and you look at that lineage, like, we're talking about with Kid Dynamite, and, like, Lifetime, holy shit, like, that the progeny of that sound, like, Taking Back Sunday, like, all these bands, like, basically came from that wellspring of, like, Ari Katz and Dan Yeeman. And uh, it just uh, just fucking amazing, and I, I I think it's also funny too. Like thinking about that, I remember hearing like some old interview with with Dan where he's talking about that, and um, he he mentions like, about like people like always ask him about like you know Hello Bastards or Jersey's Best Dancers. It's like so like how long guys take you guys to like lay that down in uh in West West Side, and he's like, I think uh, he basically said, yeah, it, it took us like two days.
0: Well, yeah, no, that I if I remember correctly, like or like these bastards was recorded over the course of like 24 hours. Yeah, like which is because that they had they had enough money to do <laughs> a session for that long and they were like we're just going to do it
1: which is insane when you think about that. Like, as far as how good it was, I mean, like, e, right? Like, and I remember him mentioning something about how, like, he's like, I derive kind of a sixth sense of pleasure in telling them that it only took us a day to like make this record that's like a landmark in that genre and like that has inspired so many people. And I'm like, okay, that's fucking awesome. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and like obviously a lot of work went into it before that, but like for to, sure for to sure. be able to like when like I. I, have, I as a person who have recorded music in the past, think think back to how many drum takes I've done over the course of my life, where I've just gotten absolutely frustrated with like, you know, not, not even missing something, just like not playing well, and like the fact that they were able to just go into a studio and be like, alright, we're just gonna track this whole motherfucker <laughs> all at once uh, and come out with this is just beyond me how like, how much like how much, like, not not only how much practice goes into that, but just, or I guess rehearsal, if you're talking about the whole band, it's a weird distinction to make, but, like, how, how much practice <laughs> and rehearsal goes into that. Because, obviously, like, everybody in the band, like, is 100% on their shit all the time. Big time. Um, If you're gonna, you know, basically turn over a record like this in, you know, a day, ostensibly. Um, and also manage to... Um, I, I, I don't want to say... I don't want to say that their cover of It's Not Funny Anymore is is better than than the Husker Du version, but it is a version that plays in my head when I think of that song. Same. Um, <laughs> Same. and, and partial. that's partially because I did hear this version before I heard the original, but like it also is just like it's incredible how like they took that song and made it theirs. <laughs> Big um, time. And, and and put it on a put it on a record like Hello Bastards. <laughs>
1: I think it leads to that perfectly though. Like you, you listen to that record and there's kind of an evergreen, almost like kind of teenage quality to it. Like that. It's like, you get this kick-ass music on there that just like, that that's amazing. And just like every, every moment of it just like hits you with something new and like, whether it's like the slow lumbering of like that, that one song where he's basically talking about how he's not, he's, he's staying at home and he's not calling anyone because <laughs> yeah. he's feeling down on himself or anything, or like from Rodeo Clown or something like that, the catchy kind of like melodic hardcore kind of a intro of Yeems right there and everything else, like, or even like the Outsiders quote towards the end of the, the record. Like, there's just like this, Right. there yeah. really is that kind of evergreen quality about it that like makes you feel like you're almost part of some kind of like old, like, you're like rebel without a cause, or something like that. You're you're James Dean driving around your car, getting ready to hang out with your friends on the weekend as a teenager, or something. And it's right. it's a really cool, cool kind of feeling to it. Like, and I and yeah,
0: well, and like you and like you know, listening to it in 2020, like it do, it does feel like it could have come out
1: two years ago. True, true. It's so fresh. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. It would it wouldn't have, uh, you know, were it were it not for its legacy, and you like played this record for somebody who hadn't heard it before. Like, they they would probably believe you if you said it came out in 2020 or 2018 <laughs> or, you know, not in 1990. Well, hello, I almost said 1997. That's when Jersey's Best Dancers came out. 1995, <laughs> uh, which is the year I I was alive in 1995, and I can barely fathom like what was going on then, uh, especially in terms of um, recording technology. <laughs> uh, but but like. But you know the 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 ways in which like other records of that era age like just has not hit those two lifetime records at all. Um, Agreed. Which is which is you know it it makes some amount of sense for like for punk music because you're not you're not like falling into weird like trends in um, snare sounds and whatnot. But <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it, yeah. Both both these records just have this evergreen quality to them that I that I think is. It is it is hard to one hard to do obviously and two hard, impossible to predict that that's going to happen uh, to your <laughs> records and and you know like like I said with with, with kid dynamite before them I've definitely heard bands into I've gone to shows in 2020 and seen a band sight unseen yeah, that's the name of the podcast um, <laughs> uh, that are just doing lifetime like they're just straight up. Their lifetime, but like, but then there's this other thing. um,
1: (laughs) But, but, which which is, which is fine. Like, some
0: people do it well, but it's, it's just, it's, it's incredible to me that, like, you know, I can see a band of literal, again, literal teenagers who are like doing this thing. And, like, it, 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 it works sometimes. Like, you know, there's some degree of just like straight up ripping off happening there. But at the same time, like the the fact the fact that I can go to a show and see a band that sounds like this is really like in a weird way heartening uh, yeah, yeah. nowadays. Um, not uh, this isn't me like being a cadre old man about guitar music. I could could give few, I couldn't give fewer shits about like what <laughs> instruments people are using or non-instruments people are using. Uh, but like you know it's it's super cool to like see people in their teens and early 20s who are just still in love with this record because like it it just like you know i i as a person like know the you know know the pedigree of this record and know like how much it influenced the things that came after it but like i i happened into that uh like i don't know about a person without the same or who's like doesn't have the same circumstances as me like whether or not they would ever arrive at, like, enjoying this type of thing, or let alone wanting to do it. Um, so I think that's really, really cool that, like, this has endured. Uh, these two records specifically have endured the way that they have.
1: Big time. Big time. And, like, it, and I, I think, again, that's just the testament to the staff there, that, that and the, also the production from, like, you know, Steve Abbotts and um, yeah, mastering of Alan Douches and everything else. Like, I think they we able to capture that sound perfectly for this time to like make it stand up even today. Like, and that's saying something on a limited, but the shoestring budget that both of these records pro, like had to produce and everything. And also like the Testament to the quality of musicianship of all the members involved in this and how they, they came prepared. They laid it down lightning quick. And it, it is just a, it's a solid document. I believe will remain so for people. Yeah. And, and I, I think that I uh, agree fully that it's, it's cool that it has the staying power of that. Um oh man, one more real quick thing on them that I thought was kind of funny about this. Uh, I, I don't know if you you were aware of this, but th- did you know that uh, Chris Daly, drummer of Jets of Brazil 108 and Resurrection, Texas is the reason, was the initial drummer for a lifetime?
0: No, I had no idea. He
1: was for like a month and I think oh they ca- he said that they, they kicked him out of the band because they said he didn't have the chops. To- <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> he kicked out fucking Chris D. Jesus Christ! I'm like wow. Like I don't know what that, that's some pretty stringent standards right there. I'm just saying I've, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard Chris Drum on One Eight Records, and that guy that, that puts guy a lot that puts a lot in
0: perspective on the uh, how they managed to do this so quickly uh, situation. <laughs> like if if that if that's if your baseline is above that, like you've got something going on. agreed fully packed. <laughs> Jeez! wow that's so. wild <laughs> i love that it makes me a little sad but i do love it
1: <laughs> true true i mean obviously it worked out for the best for both of them i mean yeah, he, he was able sure, to go on sure. to jets and do some amazing work there too and everything so um <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> oh no
0: i've never heard of that band what are you talking about uh, <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that yet well we are going to talk about is a different band that also has two records on this list. Uh, we're going to talk about Strike Anywhere. Um, specifically, oh, yeah. their uh, records: Changes the Sound and Exit English. Um, personally, my introduction to uh, Strike Anywhere was uh, "You're Fired" showing up on a comp, and uh, I, I, re- I remember hearing it and being like, "Oh." I shouldn't say I remember thinking this because I th- I think my my brain has retrofitted this, but uh, I I I feel like the thought that I should have had when I was a when I was a young boy hearing this for the first time, uh, was oh this is what Anti Flag would sound like if they weren't like a little bit cringy, <laughs> um, and I don't get me wrong I love Anti Flag and I've always loved Anti Flag, uh, but like they they definitely. Uh, they have. I. I don't want to say a brand because that one. Sa- one sounds wrong for for the type for the type of lyrical content that they're <laughs> going for. It's, but like they have a really they have a really distinct um, feel to their music. Uh, like something something that like again like kind of like fucked up. Uh, they 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 work in the framework of hardcore, but they're making something that isn't just hardcore. Um, and then on top of that, you know they're. Uh, Obviously, a very politically conscious band, and really, you know, put that very forward in their lyrics. Um, but they also just like will kick your ass sonically. <laughs> <Yes>. um,
1: <laughs> Fucking level uh, you. <laughs> like.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just uh, like th- I, I feel like I feel like they were the band that like I really started to love, like um, just like pummeling tom parts uh, <laughs> on the drums. For, like i would heard it i'd heard that kind of thing before but like just uh, like specifically like in you're fired like just that oh, do yes. do, it just like it it hits different than it usually does and i don't know why so here we come, and I know i'm gonna be honest like i've listened to changes of sound a lot more than i've listened to exit english uh, both are obviously excellent records, uh, but um, do you do you have any uh, anything you want to talk about in terms of like differences between the two records? I, I know we were talking a little earlier, and it is it is kind of wild how like different they are
1: in a lot of ways, despite True. coming out two years apart. I man, I mean. God, where to begin? It's... (laughs) These are two records I feel that I could gush about forever. But as far as differences between them, uh, there is definitely sonically a a fairly big difference as far as production goes. And I I attribute a lot of that to kind of... um, Brian McTernan recording Snapcases and Transmission in between the two releases. Oh man. I can't help but feel that like some of that tangentially related to Exit English. I don't know if they rubbed off on the session, but like you listen to that record and that record's like fucking crystal clear, like everything that goes through on it. It's almost like listening to like a new age version of like, I don't know, like Fugazi's uh what is it, Steady Diet of Nothing. It's almost like there's like there's parts of it like we're just like it falls silent with like no reverb, it's almost like just Dead but clean, like ultra clean and like and it's cool. I love it. It's got the this very kind of isolation, isolationist kind of sound aesthetic to it that's that's I find invigorating and awesome. Um uh, obviously I think and Delicious recorded a lot better, and I think a lot more time went into production on it. And I think a lot of the songs that are on it too kind of remind me of certain ways of it, like you listen to like something like uh, I don't know, like Fifth Estate or New Architects, and there's almost like a post-hardcore kind of like drivey dirge going to it and stuff where you got these just like really Thick walls of like just distorted guitar kind of just billowing over on it, and that's something that you wouldn't hear on like changes the sound. Changes the sound seems to traditionally lend it like it lend itself to more of like the kind of hardcore meets like cockspar, like yay old English punk kind of vibe, <laughs> and um, which I love too. I fucking I fucking love that. Uh, but Exit English, I, I also love for also entirely different reasons. With that, I think like the, the choruses. And it, like I mean, they're great and changes the sound too. They're fantastic and phenomenal. But like an exit English, holy shit! It's like a, a concourse of like angelic an angelic hardcore concourse. Like just like just <laughs> belting it out there. It's like this this unholy choir just fucking lifting it skyward. And it just it sounds fucking amazing. Like you listen to like infrared or like you know to the world or like you know like. Lights Go Out or any of these other ones are like Aluminum Union and it's just like it's those melodies and those choruses just fucking soar and it's so good and um, beyond that I would say other differences to me was that change of a sound seems to be more kind of a inward kind of introspective kind of state side look at things almost I I, I know we kind of talked a little bit about this in the last episode with like honor system but uh yeah yeah it, it's almost kind of introspective kind of macro m- micro level kind of uh, at my association with the world and how I associate with different things that are around me and even maybe looking at it from a kind of a ethnocentric but not well I I don't mean to say it that way because that makes it sound like it's kind of like being closed-minded and only focusing on itself. It's obviously not, but it, it just seems focused more inward on their immediate surroundings sure. than the, say, like, exane English, which seems to deal with more issues of, like, eco-terrorism and on a macro level, like, around the world and, uh, you know, kind of global imperialism and how that affects many different things. Like, you listen to a song like Aluminum Union, like I mentioned earlier, and that's definitely talking about, like, you know, like, um, workers' rights in Jamaica and uh, basically, you know, like a bunch of foreign entities kind of converging on Jamaica, mining bauxite out of its out of its fair shores and defoliating their, their, uh, the earth around, you know, their, their their nation and everything in order to get what they want at the expense of everything else. And also, kind of how they pitted people against each other to do that. Ultimately, it came up well, though. I mean, they unionized and kind of drove those influences out. But yeah. um, but like it, it seems to deal with a lot more of that though. And you listen to like something like "To the World" and and how he's basically kind of renouncing like his U.S. citizenship and kind of an ethno- ethnocentric viewpoint of like America overall and uh, my imperialist nation over everyone else's and to say that like fuck all this like we need to go out there and stand together we need to form a union amongst all the world to go out there and, and, and commune to do something better than the system that's not working for us right now we know it's not working and we put up with it every day and so like versus like Changes the sound, which seems to be dealing with more like the traditional Western institutions of like religion and everything, and both of them tackle it in their own right. But I think that like uh, that's to me two of the big differences with with those records.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I I think I think that's definitely fair, and I and I think I think what this shows is um, I feel I feel like I feel like yeah, Changes of sound is like is very much that like kind of lightning in a bottle situation where like. It's very clear that like this was like this was a very like in the moment thing and like like you mentioned like it, it is it's very um not not necessarily introspective but like I I feel like I, I think about this in the way that like um a band like Dispute writes their songs because like <laughs> those songs cover a lot of ground in terms of like things that they're talking about but they all relate back to like a central character whether it be um the the lead singer Jordan himself or like you know the the viewpoint of the person in the song but it's like this thing happened here's how i feel about it um here here is what i'm witnessing around this um and and yeah i think having having that turn into into exit english where we're kind of take taking a broader macro view is like one it it's it's you know obviously for the better in a lot of ways in that like maybe you know i imagine it gave a lot of people pause into uh, as to like oh yeah like what what is going on outside of my sphere um and I, you know obviously ideally that's what happens with a lot of music right like you 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 get you know you you get out of out of yourself for a little while it's and time. like th- who knows maybe develop a little empathy for other people uh wild <laughs> um, but Yeah, no, I, I, and like, in terms, like, even outside of, um, even outside of the issues covered in, in their lyrics, which obviously are very central to the band itself, um, like having, having that kind of like, just crazy change in like production value, I, I think, I think you making the point about, uh, um, that Snapcase record being, uh, recorded, uh, in between those two is definitely, like, I definitely hear that now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but, like, also, I re- what I really like is that um, often often you get a band that, like, goes from, like, being the kind of band that records, like, a record all live-tracked in a couple of days <laughs> to, like, having this just, like, you know, you take your time with this one. Like, that can go so bad in so many ways <laughs> and, like, can just result in, like, a crappier version of a thing that, like, would have been crappy no matter what, but, like, now it just sounds better um uh, but like the, this this is what happens when that goes right right like Absolutely. this is like this is a record where like it's grander in scope uh in terms of like sound in terms of uh subject matter in terms of just like you know what just production generally speaking uh <laughs> and and it's better for it and and I love that um I I would love, you know, if every band got that chance, uh, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> and was able to do something good with it. Obviously that depends on who you give that power to. But, um, I, I really think that strike anywhere just like really hit the nail on the head with like making the most of what they were, you know, what they were able to come into in terms of resources for, for making, uh, exit English. And Big that's time. super cool. Um, and I, I, Again, I, I I feel like they they are a band that like should have gotten more attention uh than they did uh, much, much like we we were talking about like how Kid Dynamite never really got huge. Like I feel like Strike Anywhere is like a big deal in punk circles, but like yes. like I I brought up Anti-Flag earlier. Anti-Flag was like a big deal yeah, generally enormous. speaking. And I still don't know how that happened, but like it's it's wild to me that like In a in a in a climate where like a band like anti flag a band like rise against, uh, like really becomes huge, like I'm kind of surprised that more people weren't turning to strike anywhere in the same way that they were turning to bands like that.
1: That is a good question, because I, I, I know that they they definitely got airplay on certain things. I know, like, you had Steven's Untitled Rock show back when Fuse used to exist back in the early aughts, so, I mean, like, ages ago. Yeah. Like, I know that they used to play Strike Anywhere material, so it's not from, like, lack of trying. There definitely was an, an attempt to do that. So part of me wonders if it was just an issue of the fact that, like, they seem like they're very, very much against that kind of machine going out there sure. trying to exploit them so <laughs> I had to imagine that that might that weigh machine, into them because like they're definitely <laughs> very much people that live by their principles and yeah, uh, I mean yeah. you're talking about like people that live by you know the, the code of like and openly endorse like you know like anti-fascism like via the, Nazi- the iron front and everything and so like anti-communism yeah. anti-fascism Etc. anti-monarchy. <laughs> and so like, maybe that's a part of it. So I, I,
0: I don't know a lot about the history of the band as a whole. Um, I, I do know that they did put out an EP this year and I do still need to listen to it. It's, it's really
1: good. It's, it's, I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it, I mean, you're, you're not going to have anything that's going to top these two records in my opinion Yeah, or of course anything not. that they put up before, but it, it is still very good. I, I still get that same feeling like listening to that record you get the feels and, that's something else I really want to touch on with this band and something that makes them so special to me is that like the way that Thomas is able to broach the subjects that he does, you're talking about very sensitive issues that he deals with. And as far as like yeah. misogyny, racism and like, like we talked about before, like a uh, global imperialism and on a wide scale and how that affects all of us. and, and even like kind of, you know, sycophants within any kind of, work scene or any kind of place that you may invest yourself in a social setting that go out there and, and take advantage of their fellow men or fellow woman for the sake of going out there and uh, pulling one up over on somebody else. And the way that he's able to broach these subjects in such a, it's, it's fierce yet at the same time, it's not preachy, it's not overbearing and it's amazingly empathic in the way that he's able to do it. And it's so passionate. And it, that's what I find so amazing about it is it's, it's not going out that, that, it's pointing a finger at it, but at the same time, it's not though. It's not like this direct assault where they're punching you in the face with it. But he's like, he's almost like just reaching out to you in such an empathic manner to persuade you to consider another viewpoint and to mend mend your course. And I think, and and I I, I know this probably sounds cheesy as hell talking about this, <laughs> but this band in many ways was my teacher in a in a period of my life when I was basically a part of a, a major you know high demand borderline fundamentalist religion that leans extremely right and everything and listening to this gave me another perspective on that and i have no shame in admitting that i don't care how fucking hokey that sounds that these guys were my teachers in helping me to come to a better path and to understand the plight of others and i'm forever grateful for thomas and being able to do that and broach these subjects in such a way that was able to reach out to me and touch me to Look at things in a different perspective and consider that, and so like this that's why these these two in particular are so special to me like in many ways is that like they help me open my eyes in many ways, not only to that, but also to like you know like fundamental incongruencies within my own uh, theological upbringing and my own parental upbringing in my own home or something like growing up with like you know super uber right wing well, not Nazi but you know kind of crazy. Goldwater Republican kind of <laughs> now Trump yeah. supporting Republican kind of like nut jobs and stuff that that are my my parents and stuff and so like I mean it is what it is but <laughs> I'm grateful yeah. to this to go out and out there and giving me that perspective and so like
0: yeah no and I I'm I mean, gonna be real I don't think that's cheesy at all like you I I don't think most people most most people of a certain level of privilege I should say uh come come into uh these kinds of perspectives without some kind of outside influence. And like, I think music is a great way to do that. And like, I, I think, you know, I think the pedigree of like bands, political bands that came before, uh, you know, strike anywhere and, and other, other ilk of the time. Uh, like I, I think, I think a lot of that is, is uh, kind of on that same tip. Like even the bands that became massively popular, like your rage against the machines, uh, whose messages are now, Completely fucking misconstrued by the same weirdo right-wingers by,
1: by the very party they wored against. <laughs> I,
0: I, man, I, seeing a person dance around with a with an American flag, singing along to 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 "Killing in the Name" oh as God. if it's some sort of anti-masker anthem is bonkers uh, um,
1: uh, the best part considering what the you like but so, like some of those who burn crosses are the, are the, or who in their burn crosses that? I
0: I will never understand but then again these are the same people who think born in the USA is a patriotic song so it's fine um,
1: <laughs>
0: can't win them all i guess no you you can't i i, I ugh. anyway uh, uh, but yeah I, I think i think we I think it's time to move into kind of the, the latter half of our list here, or I guess <laughs> less than half because we, we've talked about six records so far. But uh, this is kind of a complete turn in a uh, mood. Uh, but uh, our next record is Nothing Feels Good by The Promise Ring, uh, which is, uh, I, I, I think calling it a seminal emo record almost undersells its uh, its influence. When I, when I listen to to red and blue jeans, I hear nearly every emo riff written between <laughs> two thousand twelve and now, um, all in one like couple minute long package, uh, <laughs> and it's 100. it's wild. Um, I the 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 promise ring is one of those bands that uh their 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 discography is just off the wall when you like listen to it back to back, and like it it. it it, it feels it feels like a disservice not to talk about their their other records. All of I think all of their records came out on Jade Tree if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I I, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, um but like this is this is definitely like if you're if you're looking at like them as like an emo band, like this is the one. Um it uh it's it's got it's got everything that that influenced, you know, emo bands that ca- came up in the mid two thousands on, uh, just like in one neat little package. <laughs> and um and and like that that I feel like that sounds dismissive, but I really don't mean for it to be. It's just it's it's a testament to how like how that hit for so 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 many people. Um and I I just it it again it's one of it's one of those records where like I you you've were it not for like some certain like sonic quirks like you could play it for me today and tell me like oh yeah like my friend's band released this a couple of months ago and it would be like yeah that makes sense <laughs> uh except it probably wouldn't be as good if it was some rando saying my friend's band released this but you <laughs> True. get what i mean <laughs> he's no
1: jason knew that's for that's for damn certain so. exactly
0: <laughs> this was recorded in someone's page ba- no uh <laughs>
1: No, I I don't think you're off base at all in saying that. I mean, like, my God, like yeah, it's it's like the primordial ooze of like post post mid nineties, like post hardcore emo, if you will. Um I mean and it probably doesn't hurt the fact that like, you know, like Davy Bundle and like did a fucking guest spot on a praise chorus by Jimmy Eat World and everything either. True. So. Very true. So it's just like I, I I think you're spot on with that. Like uh Personally, for me, my preference is probably for the one before this, and I know, like, that everyone else will probably kill me for saying that, but, like, I, I just love the kind of rough-around-the-edges nature of it. This one is great, too, though. I mean, I completely understand why anyone would choose Nothing Feels Good over that, because this record, through and through, is polished. Just It's it's almost like this pristine, just, diamond that just shines so bright. It, it's almost just, like, <laughs> stupefying how blinding it is.
0: Yeah, well, that that's the thing, is, like, on the, uh, on, you know... On their previous record, like you, 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 you can hear the things that went into this one, absolutely. But like, it's just everything, like, just like, you know, everything was there. It just all came together on it, "Nothing it, Feels Good." It's it um, became more and that, that's really vague, but I, th- it, I think if you listen to those two records back to back, like it, the 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 through line is pretty clear. True, um, true. <laughs> and and I, I again, like, it it seems like it's it's one of those things where like they they knew what they were going for and they like and they really hit it here and then and then they went on to go okay we're gonna try some other stuff going forward uh <laughs> with like wood water and everything that came after nothing feels good um and i and i think that's super cool like the the promise ring is a is a band that's just worth like worth revisiting if you haven't in a while just as a like um a, a band that like really tr- tried for a lot of stuff and like really got some like gold out of it um like i i I feel like that's i feel like that's less rare nowadays because it's a little less risky to make a record uh than it was in (laughs) 1997 1998 but um i I feel like you know at, at the time that they were like super active you know the the mid late 90s to mid 2000s uh you know that it it's it's obviously a way to potentially alienate your fan base, but like it also like it's, it, it was cool to see a band that like really established a particular sound. I, I guess I don't want to say established. Cause I feel, I feel like a lot of bands of this era were like kind of approaching a similar, uh, a similar thing, but like, I don't, I don't think any of them hit quite the same way that the, that a prom or the promise ring did um, like, like, Obviously, Jimmy Eat World is a is a comparison point, but like they they had their own thing going too, and then like they really like hit their like I I I I don't want to say that they really like hit hit the stride that they were gonna hit for the rest of their career, uh, <laughs> starting with uh, Bleed American, but like uh, that that's not a dig. Like i they, sure. they they like the, those two bands like were kind of like. Approaching a similar thing in the late '90s, and then just kind of like diverged,
1: um, Big time.
0: right, right around like you know '99, 2001, um, which I, th- which is fine. Like I, 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 think, I mean, I would, I'm glad that we get both, personally. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, don't really have like a lot more that I could say about this record that hasn't already been said. Um, I just, it's, it's just this great distillation of you know th- things that people love about about this particular wave of post-hardcore emo emotional hardcore whatever you want to call it um and it's just like it yeah it's it's like it it's like a like a perfect polished little diamond of that <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really is though through years of compression and such. yeah exactly and, uh, okay so tell me if i'm off base here but like these guys they're pretty much like if you took like weird psych era like beach boys and made them listen to tons and tons of discord records material and then like put them in an incubator with that for like a, a couple years and then they came out and like this is it right this is like the end result <laughs> like, i feel yeah. like they have a lot of that it's kind of like the demented spawn of brian wilson but in the best fucking way possible <laughs> like
0: <laughs> i i i've literally never thought about it that way but now i'm not going to be able to not think about it that way <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, that's that's I that's apologize. That no, it's cool. I,
0: listen, I I am a I am a lifelong fan of the Beach Boys, so don't don't ever don't ever apologize for positive comparisons.
1: <laughs> as, um, as should every other living breathing human being be. So, <laughs> yaha. So um, the- Shoot, so yeah. so, what do we got next on the deck here? Is it uh? So
0: ne- next is our, our longest album title by far. Oh my god, uh, <laughs> that gonna, title like gonna it's gonna like a about, paragraph. <laughs> we're gonna talk about uh, some. Of these arms are snakes. Uh, the record is uh, usually just known as Oxineers, uh but the full record title is Oxineers or the lion sleeps when its antelope go home. Um, <laughs>
1: I like how you have it, like, fully written out there, too. And everything oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I wouldn't, I would have gotten it
0: I would have switched some words if I didn't have it written right in front of me. Um, I, and, and, anyway, uh, yeah, Oxeneers um, is, I, I was worried this wasn't going to make the list after the final count. Like, genuinely worried. Um, because I, I feel like this is, like, in a lot of ways, the sleeper hit of the Jade Tree Records catalog. Um, Fully backed, but yeah, like these arms are snakes. Is um, I, I'm forgetting like what their entire like lineup comes from, but like I know there's like members of Botch. Yep. There's people who went on to be in other like super cool bands, um, but th- what what really ultimately happened here was we got um, when 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 everything came together. Uh, oh right, yeah. Th- uh, members of this band went on to be in a uh, Russian
1: circles. Russian circles, Brian uh, Cook, one, yeah.
0: <laughs> one of one of my one of my favorite Chicago post rock bands. Um,
1: <laughs> Big time.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, Blood
1: Brothers, coincidentally, who you mentioned earlier too. I think they had the original drummer. I want to say. Yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, and so uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry talking about this record instead of talking about uh, uh bands that came before this band. Um, yeah. Uh, so these are I I really don't... I'm pretty sure that this was a record I got introduced to by somebody on the alt-press boards or whatever form that board was in oh, no around, like, 2009 or so. Um, it was either late college or, like, early post-college for me where I, like, finally got hip to this band. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, somebody just was... Somebody brought up Oxaneers, and I was like, oh, this sounds like something I'd like. And, like, it, it's just it's like it's synth Um, (laughs) post-hardcore. Yes. And, and like that, that sounds really reductive, but like it's, it's, um, I feel, I feel like post-hardcore is a hard genre to nail down. Um, especially like when you consider like, you know, that's like kind of what emo came out of and whatnot. But like, (laughs) this is like very much more on the hardcore end of things, but it's definitely not hardcore. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's this weird angular, um, they've got the shout talky vocals that I, that's part of my personal brand, um, of things that I love. (laughs) Um, and like, it's, it's just, it's like got industrial bents to it. It's got like just weird chaotic bits. It's got like, just kind of the, the outro of this record is just like this kind of like, pseudo-experimental loop thing, um, <laughs> which is why the last track is, like, eight minutes long, even though the <laughs> song itself is, like, four minutes long. Um, I, I forgot the name of the last track there for a second. I am very sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like th- this this record just, like, in, in a lot of ways, uh, f- just personally, like, hits a lot of things that I really like and, like, does them in novel ways. Um, because, like, I, I I definitely am into, like, you know, your average hardcore band, your average post-hardcore band, but, like, just the ways in which they twist that a little bit, I don't know. I, it, it's really hard to explain, but I... One, I'm a sucker for a synth in, like, literally <laughs> anything, especially if it's, like, just throwing sawtooth waves left and right. Um... But two, like, I, I, I feel like with Oxoneers, uh, it, it has the, like, kind of tight production that, like, I feel like when you listen to, like, Thursday's Full Collapse, like, I feel like this is what they were going for in terms of, like, what the final production came out to be, because, like, this record is extremely tight, like, there are just, like, there's, like, dead stops left and right, and, like, just mm-hmm. everything, like, you know, everything fits together so tightly, but like it's not robotic, um, yeah. which I think is a really easy like thing to fall into, and that's that's like my one one criticism of Full Collapse, uh, which came around, came out like a, about three three years before this record, um, is that like the production is really tight on that record, but it ends up like losing something in that. I feel like Oxen is the opposite in that like that tightness is like what really makes this record shine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that like everything is 100% on all the time and it doesn't sound alien or foreign. It just draws you in more. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I'm ranting right now, Jeff, please give me your No, thoughts. no, 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 no. Like
1: you, you're, I completely agree. Like you're, you're straight on point with that. Like it's, it's, it's fascinating. that like, you mentioned that. Cause I, I agree too. That it, it sounds so angular, like and crazy. And it, it I, 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 Willing to wager that the uninitiated that come into this would think that this record's a disheveled mess and that it's so haphazard and weird, but it's not. Though you're right, it's like right. it seems that way to the uninitiated, but it is very controlled, and that's what's so fascinating about it is that these guys know exactly what the hell they're doing and exactly when to pull back and when to go out there and just blow your face off with something. And that's what's so cool about it is that just like the, the, these are masters at their craft that came from just a billion awesome bands, and they. Have just the most bizarre way of broaching their, I, I to me it's almost like like post punk meets post hardcore meets like I think what did I have written down here for and I think I said it sounds like it's like ink and dagger inviting the faint to dinner but only the faint is on the fucking dinner menu or something and like <laughs> I just like and they have like it just you never know what the hell you're gonna get and that's what's so cool about it. Like, this record's a goddamn adventure it's just like you get like a, a synthy kind of like awesome dancy dirge and brian cook's laying down this awesome groove and then the next minute you're just getting hit by like a riff that wouldn't sound out of place on a botch record it's just like this like right. dense wall yeah. of noise it just cuts into like a, a butcher's cleaver or something it's so good and then after that it's like some like acoustic number or something it just, it's, it's, and it's amazing yeah. how well it works <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it, it any I feel like if any bit of this record had been like slightly different, it wouldn't work. <laughs> like, yeah, agreed. <laughs> it it feel it feels it almost feels precarious. Um but like the the fact that it works the way it does is just like it it's a thrill to listen to every time. <laughs> um like I, I I had I'm gonna be real with you, like prior to like us um you know, putting together this list, like I hadn't listened to this record in a couple of years, and I put it on. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, and like just was immediately like thrown back, and I was like, "What have I been doing? What's like? What's why am one? Me? Why am I not in a band like this one? Because I'm not, i not capable of writing stuff like this. Oh, not very many people. Are. No, no, we're not. We're not doing this right now. Um, <laughs> but no, like, I, th- like I." This, this like it, it, it's hard, it's hard to account for personal preference but like this this record has a little bit of like almost everything I love uh, which is which is like you know I, I've been a I've been like trending more towards like listening to like ambient and like experimental music and like honestly straight up new age in a lot of cases these days <laughs> but like just putting this record on was just like an absolute trip back to like oh yeah this is everything I like about like, you know, loud guitar music, like d- with us with like a micro added because like, that's the only synth in here. Like I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and the credits include uh, Brian Cook and Steve Sneer on micro uh, And then there's also <laughs> a pump organ on this record which uh, I kind of forgot that that's the proper term for that. Oh, um,
1: I didn't even know. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it's a, a, you, you might also see it called a harmonium in some cases, uh, but <laughs> not, not a pipe organ, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I just I think this record is so neat. Um, and just like, I, th- I think if you are the type of person who has ever enjoyed like a botch or a Blood Brothers or any other any other band that like really just like ventures outside of like the conventions of the genre that they're working in like this is a record you should be listening to and and honestly like everything that everything that these Arms of Snakes did after this was also really really good it's just like this is uh just an absolute um like mammoth of a record and like <laughs> is really like. Unmatched in a lot of ways,
1: uh, fully backed, and I
0: and I want to hear more bands like this. Is what I'm getting at. Like we've talked, <laughs> we've talked a lot about bands that have had like far-reaching influence and have a lot of like copycat bands. I want more these arms or snakes copycat bands,
1: <laughs> Please, <laughs> fully backed, fully for the backed, love of God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and get get Matt Bayless to produce that as well too, because you got to give it that big beefy you. beefy production noise on there or something. So, oh man. Also, I, I, I have to give out one last shout out for this band being one of the huge detractors that I could find of Jade Tree alumna.
0: <laughs> oh, wow, yeah.
1: They, uh, they had a bit of a falling out with them at a point. I think it, there, was a, there was an interesting article about it, about how basically they felt they were getting priority attention. But I think a lot of that mostly had to do with the fact that Jade Tree lost their two major distributors at the time. and so. They were kind yeah, of falling off anyway. I, I, I think, really I think that was anything. very
0: much a circumstances thing and not a, like, yeah. them
1: thing. I, I don't think Tim and Darren willingly wanted to do that. It's just out of necessity for survival, they, they did. and But I think they made them pay a small severance fee, too, to Wow. Wow. So, so, so we have our one detractor from Jade Tree, but, man, they wrote some kick-ass music on the label, so I'll, I'll be forever thankful for that.
0: Yeah, um... Yeah, and then, then, you know, obviously the the bands that came after them are are also great. Um, (laughs) For for me personally, Russian Circles especially, they hold a very special place in my heart. Um, (laughs) And like, I I, I actually, I I saw, so short sidebar, the reason that I love Russian Circles so much is because they played a show at the chapel at my college, uh, and like 20 people showed up, and like it was the most mind-boggling thing I'd ever seen at the time, um, and like Brian Cook was a big part of why that was so cool because he's just like a, a massively good bass player, um, so good. and also every everybody else. Russian Circles is such <laughs> a good, good band. Um, <laughs> this was like right after Enter had come to, come out too, <sighs> so like they basically just played that record. Damn. Um, yeah, I know. I know. It's a. Uh, it was a wild time. But anyway, uh, so uh, needless to say, I wasn't too surprised to find out that he was involved in this project after I realized how much I liked it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's all I got to say without, you know, going on another rant about how cool the Micro is. <laughs> um, we,
1: we can never talk about that enough. <laughs> Apolo- <laughs> no apologies required. <laughs> like, <laughs> go buy, go buy
0: yourselves a microcorg. Korg. Do, do yourself a favor while you're while you're still in quarantine. <laughs> buy a microchord or buy some, take some up, other take up a synthesizer, throw it on your next record, uh, do some shout talky vocals and then hit me up with your demo. Thank you. Get, get uh, me out your demo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we've got, we, we, are taking a, a little bit, a little bit of a turn back into, into emo ish territory with this next record. Andrew, uh, Andrew. We've got, uh, we've got control from Page of the lion. Um, my, my history with this record is actually pretty short. Um, I... I really, like... I listened to a little bit of Pedro the Lion when I was, like, in high school uh, because a lot of my friends listened to them and it just never grabbed me for some reason. And this was because I think I was, like, mostly listening to, like, more, like, acousticy like, stuff that would, like, end up falling more into David Bazan's, like, solo stuff. Um, and, like, I... I, this was at a time in my life where I was easily bored, so I was bored by that. Um, <laughs> and, but uh, later, later in life, um, I, I ended up getting pointed back to this record by um, this pant from um, North Carolina called Apart. Uh, they were a short-lived screamo band who I really liked, uh, but they did, a, they did an EP where they covered um, Second Best. Oh, and I was like, damn. oh, this is a Pedro the Lion song? Shit, I should probably check this out. And that was how I, like, finally came into control in, like, 2012 or something like that. Um, and I have not looked back since. This record is so good. Uh, the, the the moodiest of the moody on this list, for sure. Um, but, uh, but just so, so, so good. Uh, just, like kind of oh burger <laughs> <laughs> uh for the, for those of you listening on audio uh Proper. a dog just entered the room and i'm very pleased <laughs> sorry <dude. laughs> no it's fine you know you know i'll take any dog i can get um, anyway uh yeah no um i i think i think that um this this record really hits the uh the dark and gloomy, uh, emo kid in me, uh, in the right ways to this day. Um, it, it, it's got one of those like perfect intro tracks, uh, Mm -hmm. where like, you just, you just hear that and you know, you're like, you're in for it. I I, I hope that, uh, that really, uh, quiet, not, not drum hit that I just did on my lap came through my mic. But if it didn't, just just go put on control. You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, like like I said, I've, I've got a, I've got a brief history with this record. But uh, it it's just once I once I once it caught on with me, it just it has hit ever since.
1: Full, fully. Uh, what made. about you, Jeff? Oh, much much the same as you. Like it, it was I I came in first came into like Dave Bazan's work with Pedro like when I was still definitely very enmeshed in. High demand theology myself, and I think at the time uh, initially, like you're saying, like you you kind of, you're like I'm into different, more varied material, and this kind of seems a little samey to me. Like and, like, and for me it was, uh, I guess it was more just the fact that like I was I, I kind of approached it from a theistic kind of holier than thou perspective of, I had a major aversion to any Christian insert musician at oh, the time. Boy. Like I I still kind of do but like for different reasons now. Uh, <laughs> I, at I the get time, that. <laughs> I, I, was, I was definitely very, very against that. And so I remember thinking that, always. Oh, he's just known one of those, like he, he played like Cornerstone Festival too. And I'm like, oh, fuck Cornerstone Festival. Even as, <laughs> even as a former Mormon, I was still like very like, oh, this is such BS and everything. But um, uh, I kind of changed my tune probably around maybe 2009-ish or so, like when I finally kind of came back to the material and started listening to it again. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned that, like, it seems like he's he's going through material because I kind of I was kind of worried that it was like kind of my own personal inference or some kind of I was making some kind of post hoc rationalization about maybe his potential faith crisis leading into this record. And uh, obviously uh, some in the summation of like Achilles heel before he deconverted from his, uh, I I believe, uh, Pentecostal theology.
0: Yeah, like it it, it is it, it's a, it's a concept record and like I, I know that like I know that really informs like a lot of the, the subject matter on the record but like it, it's 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 told in such a way that like it I, I, I feel like there's no way that there isn't like some personal experience going in here like I don't know a lot about David Vizan's life but um, yeah it's uh, it's it's wild. Um, I, I actually hadn't read much about the uh, concept behind the record. But uh, if if you look on Wikipedia, it is a concept record about a businessman who is having an extramarital affair (laughs) and his untimely death at the hands of his spurned wife. Um, I don't feel like you write something like that without, um, you know... Having a little bit to say about that kind of thing,
1: (laughs) for sure, for sure. And like, as a person that like kind of went through this, because I I think I want to say that he deconverted around 2004 or so. So this is like just just two years before that. that. So like, I think this is might have been around the time I think he went to Bible college for a time or something like that. So this might have been around the time he was. Really, really coming to coming to grips with that and kind of grappling with that in his own life. I, I, I in preparation for this, I watched the the documentary that he had, uh, the strange negotiation or something before going in that really fantastic documentary and would highly recommend it. Um, it 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 was it was kind of interesting for me. Like I, I, again, I can't help but draw certain parallels. I mean, there's of course major differences between Mr. Bazan and myself. I've never wrote and written like you know like. 12 hit records in a row or something. And I I likely never (laughs) will anywhere near to the caliber that this man ever will. But like, like, I I feel like as far as like the journey in certain ways, I can, I can grasp in a certain way. Like I I feel an affinity to what he went through and uh, his, his questioning of being a part of a theology and like, and, and that's, I think the thing that a lot of people that aren't a part of that. I think they can empathize and they can understand, but it's, it's, it's completely different when you're completely enmeshed in that and the, the facet of how it basically seeps into or infiltrates every facet of your being. There's no part of your life that it's not a part of or not tangentially connected to in some way, shape or form or shoehorned into. And so I can really see that kind of like kind of feeling of isolation going on there and the, the subjects of infidelity that he's doing with kind of being tangentially related to his own uh, deconversion and my own as well. And um I, it, it's kind of interesting though, like going into that. like there's like one song on here, what I think is what is it rapture? where like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's fascinating to think about him as a, as a believing Christian, basically like taking something that seems to be so sacred to evangelicals and Pentecostals, which is like this concept of rapture, which is which I've always found fascinating. and and fucking bizarre and then relating it to like sex and an orgasm and everything and I always thought that was really awesome like yeah, just yeah. fucking awesome imagery and stuff and the way that he he lays it out there and um it, it's it's just amazing though like and I think one of the things in the documentary that like that kind of caught my attention was when he's he's dealing with um there's a there's a footage of him talking at a Cornerstone festival. And he's basically talking about kind of a creative ghetto within Christianized music communities. And he's he's kind of advocating against that. He's like, go out there and do something different, be something different, and try to find yourself outside of this. And um, it, it, it's interesting, because I, I kind of looked at the way that he was able to, and like, even in this record, the way that he kind of compartmentalizes certain things and aspects of, uh, be it the marriage or like how this man sacrifices a part of himself to be in a marriage with a wife that he feels no love with or children that he feels no love towards or a job that like he absolutely hates and wants to get away from as soon as humanly possible and how like people we 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 do that with so many other aspects but also in religion how we kind of compartmentalize the things that we don't like about it almost in a cafeteria theologians kind of viewpoint and um and like how like I I remember being guilty that myself I'm like it's the, the whole or the, the doctrine isn't diseased. It's it's just this one part that I can separate and put over here. But it's 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 really not that, though. It's it, it's the collective whole is a part of that disease in a way. And which isn't to say that Christianity or Christian consciousness is a disease, but there are certain aspects of it, I feel. And I think this current election and the, the past election, I think, are indicative of that when you look at who a lot of these people endorse. And I think it kind of goes over that a lot as well, too. Like, it's just like, I don't know how you, if you, you're, your horse that you're backing is Trump and you espouse these things that come out of the synoptic gospels and other things. It's like, I don't know how you reconcile that with yourself. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's so, but I, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm pontificating here on a bunch of crazy stuff No, no, no. So it's, like,
0: it, 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 this, this is genuinely important shit. Um, <laughs> in our music podcast.
1: is that you have people like him that go out there and they, once they, they come to terms with this and stuff, they can still, they can divorce themselves from the aspects of it that may be harmful to others. And, you know, like kind of like the, the anti-gay, the misogynistic kind of uh, viewpoints of, and like maybe a more conservative kind of tract to go out there and say, I could be accepting of these things. I can love those around me. And I don't have to associate with this to, to feel that way and that there are other ways to get that. And that's, what's so cool about this. And I think even with this music in a way, like it's, I guess I suppose one could kind of look at it as almost like a, like a sacrament or like some kind of you know like kind of theological rite where you listen to it and you kind of you have your own experience I, I felt that way particularly about his newest one on polyvinyl um, yeah yeah uh, uh, fuck, Phoenix that's what it was called like that one th- I think that one dealt more with his upbringing and everything directly but um I think he he lays it out in such a way that's so earnest and is able to bridge that for so many people and I think that's why you probably still have a lot of people that are still engrossed in their, their beliefs, or maybe they're they're struggling with certain aspects of it, that, that still consider themselves part of Christian consciousness that still love his work. And I mean, and I, I think that's a testament to like how, not only how good he is and how great his work is, but also just like the way that he's able to deliver it in such an honest and, and uh, bare fashion that, yeah, that yeah. nothing is left out. And that's what I've always loved about his work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. David David Bazan is uh and I have God I really hope I'm pronouncing his name right because I've only ever seen it written I've never heard anybody <laughs> say his name out loud, um, but uh yeah no he I have I, I've never I've never actually I've never seen Pedro the Lion or him as a solo artist live Same. before, but like he, he yeah he just he seems like such a sincere person and I and I really appreciate that and that and I feel like that sincerity comes through in his work. And I think that's part of what makes it so special. But on a potentially lighter note, do we want to talk about the uh, (laughs) by by and large, uh, I don't want to say winner of our of our greater poll of what's your favorite Gage Tree (laughs) records? uh sh- shocker guys it. jet to brazil jets to brazil <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I just stumbled
0: over it oh my god
1: no one, uh, no one expected gonna, that
0: yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about orange rhyming dictionary uh but i, I think i think we do want to kind of put it out there early on like every jets to brazil record is an absolute gem yep <laughs> um, <laughs> all our winners all our winners there are no losers but but Orange Rhyming Dictionary is just it's I know that this band had a lot going for it going in uh but like to have a debut like Orange Rhyming Dictionary is just like incredible no matter what the circumstances <laughs> I agree circumstances were pretty good for Jets to Brazil. Let's be real. You're you're fronted by Blake, uh, Blake Schwarzenbach of, of Jawbreaker fame. You've Fresh got out of Jawbreaker Jay Robbins at the helm uh, producing your record. Um, you've got uh, you've got Chris from Texas is the reason drumming for you. You've got you got Jeremy from Handsome on bass. Like it's it was it was it was a perfect storm and it worked out perfectly. <laughs> Uh, I think it's kind of the kind of the crux of all of this. Um, but yeah, I just I've 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 heard people argue that they that Jets to Brazil is a is a better band than Jawbreaker. And I I feel like that's an unfair comparison in a lot of ways, because, like, I do understand the compulsion because they're both fronted by Blake. Uh, <laughs> but like, I, I really think they are they are two bands that are capturing two very different. Uh, things and like sometimes I want to listen to Jawbreaker and sometimes I want to listen to Jets to Brazil. <laughs> uh it's kind of like what it comes down to for me personally. Uh, which I feel like I've said some variation of that sentence a lot this episode. But um yeah, I don't know. This this record this record and, and, and you know, the records that came after it, uh Four Corned a Night and Perfecting Loneliness are just really just like masterpieces, honestly. Um and and it it really it it does pain me that we that we had to kind of pick one at risk of having thirty percent of the episode be about Jets to Brazil, um, <laughs> but but yeah uh, I I I'm I'm a little I'm stumbling here a little bit so if you wanna yeah. you wanna go ahead
1: Jeff oh <laughs> then you, you, I think you're you fine uh, fully back to everything you said it's just this you you can't go wrong with any release that they did everything that they did like I mean like. I look at it as like choosing like a mother choosing between her children or something like that. It's like you you might be able to but you really can't though. It's just like you love them all I guess. I don't have a kid or anything like that so <laughs> I can't I can't say I completely empathize with that but I from what I from what I've gathered from Jeff if my you got another family, dog would you
0: love that dog more than Burger?
1: no i'd love them both it's impossible. exactly no, they're, there they're you bo- go they're both my <laughs> children good point good point point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you, like you're saying with the personnel you have involved like you know they're all going to pull together and make it good and i think with this like it just you're, you're talking about i mean in my my opinion probably one of the greatest songwriters of the 90s and early aughts helming a band fresh off the heels of arguably one of the greatest pop punk bands that ever walked the face of the earth doing something that's not entirely different, but at the same time, completely different. So, and, but it's, it's great in the fact that it like, it's, it's subtle and never overstated and anything, but yet so perfectly well done and rendered as far as like the sonic craft of everything that's put in there. And also probably the only band that's had a Mellotron that I can tolerate and recorded work and oh boy. that's saying something right there because I have a massive aversion to it of Mellotron I'm sorry synth enthusiasts out there but yeah like, don't man. don't
0: come after my boy like
1: that <laughs> just kidding that's I'm fine. sorry <laughs> I, I gotta come with a hot no, take I, here. I, I, I totally something. understand <laughs> I totally understand but um I just everything about this is, is so good like just, I just I, I I I'd be hard pressed to find any band within the last two decades that's put out a love song as good as, like, Sweet Avenue or Cat Heaven. I mean, I I honestly really can't think of any that would probably be comparable to that. Like, both of those songs are flawless, in my opinion. And, um, like, God, Sea Anemone. Like, it's just one of the greatest fucking breakup songs. Like, the imagery that he's able to elucidate with throughout just the simplest means, but yet so interwoven and complex with everything he does, he just paints such a vivid picture of everything with all of his lyrics and it's so great and it's too damn clever for its own good. Like he just, yeah. (laughs) and uh, I I just, I, I, I at a loss for words, like kind of thinking about how, how you, you address this kind of thing in there. Like everything about this band exudes greatness. And I, I, I go back and forth between saying that, like, yeah, like you're saying, like it's like one day it's Jawbreaker and the other day it's Jets. And like, it honestly depends on, what time you catch me, and what side of the bed I wake up on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and well, like the thing is, like, I, I if I'm if I'm remembering the the kind of trajectory of things here, like I I'm pretty sure Blake was like maybe thinking he was done with music after Jawbreaker yeah, called I it. I Believe so. Um, so like, in a lot of ways, I I I must say we are lucky to have had Jets to Brazil. <laughs> Thank God. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, like. He's, I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like you're, you're, you'd be hard pressed to find, uh, a, a, a songwriter like Blake Schwarzenbach, um, and just period. Like he, like he, like he said, yeah, I think, I think he is up there in terms of songwriters of the late nineties, early aughts, um, and like on honestly, I feel like he's he's the type of person who could just like, and I I know he's had several projects like since um since Jets uh, and all have been really really good uh but like I I he, I haven't really heard much from him in the past couple of years but like he <laughs> could just start releasing stuff again and I'm sure it would be absolutely fucking great
1: <laughs> yeah, um, most definitely <laughs> yeah of that, I think there's supposed to be a new Jawbreaker record in the and po- the in the works or something somewhere. I remember hearing something about don't that. Get,
0: don't get my hopes up about that. Don't uh, get my hopes up about that.
1: No. I, I would um, be worried. I, I, yeah, that's, I'm apprehensive. So I, I, I'm, I'm I don't, pro- the, the,
0: I don't, I'm not that apprehensive about it. Honestly, I, I don't <laughs> know that it's going to sound like a jawbreaker record necessarily, but I feel like those guys are vibing in a way they didn't think they were going to uh, all these years <laughs> yeah. later. Uh, because like, I like, they could have they could have just done riot fest and made a lot of money and done a couple of other festivals and called it um, or they could have just like kept playing like you know well we're we're going to play we're going to play one show a year ma- make our, <laughs> make our dough and never write another song yeah. again but like if they're at the point where they're like oh yeah no we should we, we should write music again like i i trust that instinct in them um,
1: yeah
0: and and I, and I would say that about pretty much any lake project um but like because believe me i would love another jets to brazil record too <laughs> same same um yeah i i don't know it, it's I, I i feel i feel a little bad ending with this record because it's like it's 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 impossible to say like critical things about this record for me personally because i do just kind of love it that much um but yeah i don't know it just it it feels like it's 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 wild that, you know, you had you have a band like Jawbreaker that had such a like such a wild like almost parabolic career trajectory and then just like ending it on a note where like a whole bunch of new people loved them and a whole bunch of old fans hated them. And then you have a few years break and then Jets to Brazil hits and it's just like everything just like everything was refreshed. Um because like I don't I I can't imagine a I can't imagine a Jawbreaker fan that doesn't love Jets to Brazil and I and maybe part of that is because like Jets to Brazil like in a lot of ways does feel like an extension of Jawbreaker, um like not not I like I I don't want to say that at the risk of like making it sound like I'm saying oh yeah like this would have just been the next Jawbreaker record because I don't think it would have, yeah. um I th- I think the next Jawbreaker record would have been another punk record that sounded a little better because they had more time and money to spend on it um i I think what ended up happening with orange rhyming dictionary was that like things were able to go like just kind of veer a little bit off the path that jawbreaker was taking but like take take lessons from like where jawbreaker left off like in terms of like what blake's strengths were as a songwriter and like what um what like honestly like the types of music that like compliment Blake's voice as it was at the time because like he underwent a pretty massive like vocal transformation over the course of his early career and like I personally really think that like that culminating in Dear You really worked um and then like was further refined in Jets to Brazil Mm -hmm. uh but I know (laughs) I know not everybody agrees with that (laughs) um but I but I feel like that I feel like Jets Brazil is where that, like, really hit. Like, I feel like, you know, I feel like the type of music they were writing was really, like, something that really showcased him as a vocalist and a lyricist mm-hmm. rather than, like, potentially detracting um, by going for something else. Um, totally
1: agree. Like, just I mean,
0: I... put put him in his range so that he could, you know, perform at his best.
1: But- Big time And like it, like I, I think Yeah Like everything Like touching on that too Like it just It also Like it was like The second step in him Being a man as a songwriter And I think like That was different from him Like you, I look at kind of like Again Job Breakers His youth and everything And he's still growing up And maybe going yeah. through college He's not like He has he's He's dealt He's lived in the real world But not really in the sense of being Like a, a grown adult Doing it And like with this You get the sense of Him maturing even more As a songwriter Like you're saying And like Really filling in, growing into that role and filling it, and doing it in such an effective manner, like <laughs> and, and exceeding expectations. I think in many ways with this, and I I probably wouldn't have admitted that early on as a as a major Jobbreaker fan, but I mean, like I think the more and more I go back to it, the, the the more and more I appreciate it each time I listen to these Jets records, and like there's a little bit more to glean from it. I think there's a lot more to kind of parse from these lyrics that he puts out there in a way that relates so much more to me now, like in my current state than I was as, you know, like a 18 year old or a 24 year old or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I feel, I feel like there's, there's a lot to be said for a a musician that feels like they're kind of growing with you. Um, (laughs) and like, and that could be said about a lot of acts, like a lot of acts, you know, evolve over time and like change. But like, I, I feel like, I feel like the specific like trajectory of the way that like Blake's music has evolved over time, uh it really just like kind of it, it it fits with like certain periods of you like 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 I can go I can go listen to Jawbreaker and still enjoy it and um you know realize that like that this isn't how I feel about certain aspects of my life anymore but I have felt <laughs> this before like yeah, 100% yeah. and also these songs are still like total bangers um <laughs> but, but like yeah like you 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 enter into I, I, I hesitate to use the word mature to describe you know a record at all uh, because that's kind of a loaded word but like I I do <laughs> feel like in a lot of ways like orange rhyming dictionary and then like even further with with um, with four Cornered night and perfecting loneliness it it feels like it feels like there is a maturation in a lot of ways um, and not like, that's not to say like it, that it you know gradually gets better or worse or less relatable or more relatable. It just it just is, um, <laughs> yeah. and like you you can you can you might be at that point in your life and you might not, um, and you may never be. Uh, but it that's kind of how it feels in a lot of ways.
1: Fully backed. It's and it's rare that you get that with an artist where you get to feel like you kind of go along with them for a ride almost if you will and they kind of they go through the transitory periods of your life and kind of almost like almost like that that family heirloom that tags along with you state to state or something or maybe relationship through relationship or maybe yeah even onward to marriage or something or what have you and uh <laughs> they seem to be like one of those ones that will will definitely stand the test of time at least in, in my estimation for i mean yeah. and, and i can speak from my personal experience as one that only gets better with time like like amber wine or something
0: (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah all right well uh that's our list that is that is the 10 records that we hit up um if you feel like we left out your favorite record uh feel free to yell at us i don't know if we'll listen but uh (laughs) i I really think i really think that like that this this was tough in a lot of ways because like like we've mentioned, like, the GH3 catalog is vast and diverse and just contains a multitude of great records. And, like, mm-hmm. even if we'd, like, you know, not gone the route of, like, taking votes, like, I feel like we would have felt like we were doing a disservice to a lot of the catalog, <laughs> no matter what.
1: Um, no doubt.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I really... I If you're listening to this and haven't checked out, like, a good chunk of these records or a good chunk of the J tree catalog, like just go on their site and click a random cover that you think looks cool. You will probably find something great.
1: <laughs> no um, doubt. And, and like Matt said earlier, it's all accessible, like all right there. Like pretty much the entirety of the discography is either accessible through SoundCloud or Bandcamp directly via links on their discography through yep. j- uh, jtree.com And so like I, it, be this like a, 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 an example for other record labels out there, please have your discography available in one spot like this. It's it's, it's a brilliant idea. Like there's, I mean, like I, I, we mentioned Discord earlier and for the love of fucking God, I wish they would do this even with the releases that like no one listens to just because like they talk about preserving history. And I think this is a great example of doing that and having that available for people to do that. And I mean, preserve, preservation is one thing, but accessibility is also another great aspect of that to being able to make that available to people. And I hope labels look to that example and, and try to do that and emulate that <laughs> for sure um, any final thoughts before we uh, call it here that's a tough one I mean I, I feel like, I, like like you're saying like it, it feels like it's a vast well and like it can go on forever and I feel like I can I can gush forever about this label but for the sake of everyone here and and for your sanity <laughs> <probably> like, like, <laughs> I'll, I'll cut myself short here but just like, like echoing that, if you haven't listened to any of these uh, these bands or you're, you're not familiar with the label in any way, shape, or form, I highly recommend checking out anything you have. If you have spare time available, it's all right there. Please give it a listen. I guarantee you will find something in there. I don't care who you are. That will appeal to you in some way, shape, or form if you, you open, open yourself up to it and give it a shot.
0: All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back sometime talking about something. Uh, I don't really. I don't know what we have on the docket next. Um, we've been That's talking a about uh, a couple more possible label lists. Um, if you have suggestions or things you would like to hear us talk about, um, even if it's not in list form, um,
1: hit us up. Do we have?
0: Do we have an official email for the? I,
1: I think the, I posted one of my Gmail accounts there. I think. It, let me. Let me see what it is. Um... I think it's a Yafik Kodal reference. We'll see.
0: Love it. <laughs> I'm, al- I'm already liking this more than sightunseenatgmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let me see if I can find it here real quick, if uh, my thing loads. I'm uh, truly trying not to fill time. going in here and searching for my email. check a check of email. Come on. There we go. Okay, it is uh, killeringovernmentblanketsatgmail.com. Killer Sorry, and government that's blankets. Edgy. all. All one um, word, um, no uppercase letters.
0: All right, so, cool. killer and
1: government blankets. Edgy.
0: I do. I do want to point out that uh, that one of my favorite things is uh, when podcasts uh, don't really edit their podcasts, but they make reference to editing things out in
1: post <laughs> uh, constantly. Tom uh, Mullen. Tenant Enemy one of, Number One. Of my one. Uh, so I was
0: very tempted to just tell you, "Don't worry, Jeff. We'll we'll get it in post." When I I don't know if I'm editing this or you're editing this, but I have no intention of making going to great lengths to take out silences.
1: Uh, we'll see i don't know I, I can give a whack at it we'll see i don't know i kind of butchered the last one so maybe maybe, maybe i'll leave it in your more capable hands or
0: something we'll see we'll it. see what happens but again everybody thank you for listening if you have questions comments suggestions that is killer in government blankets at gmail.com uh otherwise chances are you know us personally just hit one of us up um and if you want if you want to like chat with us about stuff we are available on the internet at all times on various social media outlets as individuals uh be backed cool jeff it's been a pleasure
1: matt thank you for your time
0: all right thanks for listening everybody
1: <laughs> have a good one